Our brains just, are pretty chill. Yep. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, dang. Reality is an illusion. <laughs> Stitch <laughs> it all together. You're just in a computer simulation. Yeah. Whatever. Get over <laughs> it. Yeah, there's a glitch. <laughs> Welcome back to Cinema Science Podcast. It is season two. Woo! Woo! We're back. We're back. <laughs> in case you don't remember, we are a podcast in which we interview grad students and we talk about the science behind your favorite movies, games, and TV show. So each episode will feature a new topic and a new guest who will answer questions from you guys and also questions that we find on the internet. Hey, Anne, how has your break been? <laughs> It's been nice. It's been a while since we've done this. I haven't so. seen you in six months since I we mean, last that's recorded. That's probably the nicest part of the break. That's true. <laughs> Fair. No. I'm just what kidding. have you been doing during the break? Oh, just living the glamorous style of <laughs> lifestyle of a grad student, really. <laughs> so you're in the lab, full of yachts, like sun up. And, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. You're doing that yacht research this summer, weren't yeah, you? Yeah. Called vacation. <laughs> nice. No, I've just been in the lab working, thinking of movies and yeah. Thinking of how cool it'd be for us to get back together and yeah. do another season. And here so we are. We're and back. <laughs> and today we have with us Kevin Huang. Hello. Hello. Nice to meet you. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the research you do? Um, yeah, so I do uh, research in developmental neuroscience, specifically looking at how... Um, type of cells in the brain called astrocytes uh, interact with neurons and how they uh, work together to grow neurons properly and form hmm. the right connections. Um, so this, you know, the topic of today's episode is going to be quite outside of my research interest, but it's <laughs> uh, something of a personal interest about um, time perception Ew. and, um, you know, how we interact with time. Right. Yay. Yeah, I'm excited for this topic. I know nothing about it. So yeah. it'll be a learning experience. Movie, right? <laughs> Not only do I not know very much about time perception, I also haven't seen the movie that we're talking about. <laughs> so I'm just dead weight here, <laughs> carrying down the conversation. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to be talking about Dread, the 2012 yeah. movie. Not Judge Dread. Yeah. Stallone. Which I accidentally watched the YouTube summary of. <laughs> just watched the wrong movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, so. the idea is still the same, right? Okay, yeah. Could yeah. you tell me about it a little bit? Yeah. So Dread with Carl Urban, not with. Stallone mm -hmm. is based off of a comic book series where it's the dystopian future and all of the U.S. has become like basically a large metropolis. I think it's something where the entire East Coast um, hmm. from Maine to Florida out to Chicago is one big mm. uh, urban urban city kind of like Manhattan. Yeah, that sounds miserable. Yeah, I was just about to say, I, that's too many people. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, yeah, what's just... the rest of the country doing then? What's going on in Washington State? <laughs> Oh, God. They're it's just, just all like, hoping to get away. Like, no one's going <laughs> to come out and move there. Coffee and cabins. Yeah. Coffee and cabins, that's right. Gosh, so it already sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, of course, these are crime-ridden metropoli, but, I mean, you were saying, Kevin, that their statistics were kind of off, right? Um, so, 
the the comic book uh, basically says that the only way to keep up with that amount of people and the amount of crime that it brings is to have these um, judges, um, these people who were judge, jury, and executioner. They were cops that had the uh, authority to determine if somebody was breaking the law and then summarily you know, arrest them or, or punish them for breaking the law. Mm-hmm. And um, in typical comic book fashion, this involves like cracking a lot of heads and shooting people <laughs> of for course, obviously you know whatever <laughs> just efficient um, really yeah <laughs> <laughs> whatever transgression they may have uh occurred and so the titular character judge dread mm-hmm. is um this veteran cop and um he gets assigned a green rookie mm-hmm. and um the whole movie centers around uh, a particular call that they get to a, a giant tenement and the gang that basically owns and runs the tenement and they, you know, they, they, uh, they come into conflict as um, hmm. turns out the gang is producing a special type of drug in this tenement and um, Judge Dredd wants to put a stop to that. Okay. And so this drug is how we are sort of talking about our topic of time perception then? Yep. And so... Um, the drug in this movie is called slow mo. Um, <laughs> very original, looks, yeah. right? <laughs> Wonder what it does. Um, and in the movie, it looks like uh, kind of like an asthma inhaler. Hmm. Um, people like breathe in the vapors, and then they just their perception of time uh, slows down, and they're basically trip out with this um, slow motion uh, time perception, hmm. um, kind of like bullet time from the Matrix, which is also kind of something we're going to touch on. Okay. this episode yeah basically the drug is an excuse for them to use really cool cinematography <laughs> it's beautiful <laughs> when they enter this slow-mo cool but other than that it's not really used in the movie i guess they use it for really long torture scenes but that's about it <laughs> oh yeah. yeah that could so it could be used for like recreation but also <laughs> to like really prolong a terrible experience yeah yeah oh that's dark. that's what makes the villains villains yeah that's yeah. really dark actually. yeah it was really dark. like thought torture was bad what about slow torture? yeah oh gosh oh, so no. they do um in the movie there's a bunch of people just using it recreationally and then the gang members will dose people up with it and then mm-hmm. toss them off the top floor of the building so mm-hmm. that they fall but they experience the fall in slow motion. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty yep. terrible. Yeah, it is pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah, the the whole movie is basically Judge Dredd and his um, rookie basically climbing the whole building and then eventually getting to the drug lord. And hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, I should watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, in theory, I should have watched it before the episode. That felt, but that's okay. But no, yeah, it sounds really cool. All right. So I guess... Just to kind of jump into our scientific topic then, what do, what do you mean when you say time perception? You're saying time perception changes in this movie. So what does that really mean? Time perception is sort of kind of simple on the surface, right? It's how a person perceives the passage of time. When we look at it objectively, um, time goes from the future to the present and then becomes the past. And, um, you know, all of us were moving through time in the same direction linearly. So objectively, you know, a minute is a minute and we're all moving through the same minute uh, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, subjectively, it gets a little different um, and gets really complex when we start looking at how our brain sort of processes time, right? Mm-hmm. How it fits things into 
um, a timeline, right? Mm -hmm. Things happen. Your brain has to take all of this information in and basically build a timeline, right? What happened before? What's happening now? And what do I think is going to happen in the future? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, time perception is the whole bag of the brain looking at things that are happening in time and putting them together and how you consciously perceive time, subjective time. Um, and what's really cool is that people have been finding these uh, time illusions. And so these are things that mess with your subjective perception of time. Oh, right? Objectively, cool. things are happening at the same rate that they always happen at, hmm. but subjectively they can feel different. And um, there's a couple of really good ones. Um, there's something called the Kappa effect, which you might want to just look up on YouTube because mm -hmm. it's a visual uh, timing illusion. And um, yeah, this is a podcast, so maybe not the best format for explaining it. <laughs> we'll just pull it up on YouTube. Yeah, we'll give you right. five minutes to go check out that video Kappa and then effect. come back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, basically, if I can try to paint it with words, um, if you have a flashing light, right, it, it's tapping out a beat um, and it flashes. Uh, but the light flashes in different spots of the screen, right? Two of them are flashing close together. It goes beat, beat, beat. Mm -hmm. But the third flash is off on the corner, right? And they can ha they can be flashing at the same speed once every um, half a second. But the one that flashes off in the corner will feel like it happens much later than hmm. the two that are close together. And it's your brain subjectively thinks that the one in the corner is doing its own thing. And so it's taking longer mm -hmm. than the two that are flashing next to each other. So like how we have visual illusions, we right. can have time illusions. Right. Whoa. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> my God. <laughs> so it sounds like uh, time perception, like a lot of it, like you were saying, is really subjective. Could we really manipulate it chemically, like with a drug like they do in the movie? Um. So... Uh, it's a little some... dark, Heidi. She's trying I mean, to like buy some slow. I'm not taking notes. <laughs> what for torture reasons? <laughs> no, no, Heidi. It's for science. I'm disappointed. So I just um, want to enjoy my pets longer. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, I did look into this a little bit. Um, I haven't actually run into anything like personally, but um, there is some literature suggesting that some of the hallucinogenics, so LSD, psilocybin people have reported some time illusions on them. And so, you know, whether or not you'd be able to use that to get like a bullet time kind of thing from mm -hmm. the Matrix is mm -hmm. one thing because they not only mess with your sense of time, they also do various hallucinogenic things. And so mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I'm not sure that's really conducive for making it feel like time is slower right. yeah. um, than you want it to be so for like a certain thing. All of perceptions changed under those drugs, not just time. Yeah. It's right. not like it's because in the movie, slow mo just makes things slow down. Yeah, right? it's okay. not like they're taking advantage of the slow mo and like yeah. able to enter bullet time and dodge bullets or something huh. like that. Okay, so it seems like a waste of time. Actually, <laughs> um, as far as the the science behind the the hallucinogens, they're complex. They do a lot of really high order like perceptual things, um, but all signs really point to it mechanistically being this um it, it to borrow to make the analogy to computers it's not changing the clock speed of your brain it's not speeding it up it's just screwing around with where things are being sent and hmm. um, how things are being organized and slotted in okay. so um 
probably not so much actually slowing things down and more just making it feel like a moment is lasting forever when it already hmm. passed and your brain's just trying to figure out how long that moment should have lasted. Yeah, that's interesting. So is there a network in our brain that we usually use to perceive time? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, a really hard question? Yeah. Uh. Um, so the short answer is yes. Uh, the slightly longer answer is there might be more than one. Okay. <laughs> um, and I guess to really dive into that answer, um, some of the slower clocks are a lot better understood. So um, one of the slower clocks uh, that's really well studied is... Uh, people might have heard of it it's called the circadian cycle oh right okay. and so that's a nifty little part of your brain that basically keeps track of the day night cycle it keeps track of a uh, 24-hour cycle by looking at this it's this really cool protein clock that hmm. expresses a protein which turns off the protein which then turns off the first protein and then cycles and mm. so then it gets produced again and then turns off turns itself off and then produces again hmm. um and it's super well studied because it plays into a bunch of other daily cycles. So various hormone uh, changes during the day. Um, if you've looked at melatonin, like melatonin cycles throughout the day, and that's because the circadian cycle is above that and it basically provides the, the beat for the melatonin cycle. Hmm. Uh, same for temperature and various other uh, daily cycles. There are theories and schools of thought that look at uh, clocks that might exist longer than the circadian cycle, so like a seasonal or a yearly cycle, mm. but those yeah. are pretty theoretical, and there's not a lot of great evidence that they really exist. Mm. Um, other other schools of thought just say that the circadian cycle is probably the slowest thing that we have, and anything you get that's slower than that just comes from how the circadian cycle gets adjusted. Uh, based on the day day night cycle, so the more sunlight there is, um, the more the circadian cycle the circadian cycle responds to that sunlight change. So, um, you know, that might also play into how people have a seasonal affective disorder in the winter when mm -hmm. um, the, the sun goes away for longer. There's a big gap in the research between that and um, some of the really fast clocks, and so these are things where, um, you know, when you're looking at uh, the hippocampus and sort of really short-term memories. Um, when you're timing something in under 10 seconds, let's say, um, you have a pretty good sense of how long a couple seconds are, five seconds are, 10 seconds are. And so that's a really short-term clock. Um, I don't think anyone's really found a physical circuit for the short-term clock, even though they've tested the short-term clock and there's mm -hmm. a lot of uh, things you can test about it empirically, how accurate it is, um, like how you can distort it, like with the uh, kappa effect, mm -hmm. um, and how you can sort of retroactively distort it, distort it. So in your memories, you still have a pretty good sense of how long something took, but mm -hmm. then you can oh, okay. change, you know, how long you think it took after the fact. Um, and again, some schools of thought think that there are there's a physical circuit for it. Um, a couple of neurons that just kind of, you know, metronome-like, just <laughs> beat out, count out the time. <laughs> um, other schools of thought say that it's just a property of how we encode memories, right? Mm, yeah. It's short-term memory. As it goes in, it gets a time code or a timestamp, or mm -hmm. the brain just retroactively figures out, oh, I put these memories in at like this speed, so this thing must have taken about this long to, to happen. 
Hmm. So you mentioned um, circadian rhythms as a kind of an internal clock. Why is it that when I go to bed at night, I don't remember time passing when I wake up? Um, so that's a good Is that question. a me problem? <laughs> is that what you're going to say um, very nicely? You just don't count the seconds as you're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> so your circadian, uh, your circadian clock does keep going while you're sleeping. Okay. Um, I think your conscious perception of time, that might be more... Uh, and this is just spitballing here, but that's probably more of a function of um, some perceptions of time are heavily tied to your memories. Mm. Um, and so, mm. you know, you're not making any memories while you're sleeping um, unless you're dreaming. <laughs> Dreams are their own mm. weird category <laughs> of memory. But because you're not really building any of these memories, like your conscious recollection of time passing isn't um, isn't really being processed. So, mm. you know, consciously it doesn't feel like sleeping took any time mm-hmm. um but a fun sort of a, f- a fun bit of that is that there's some evidence that suggests that some anesthetics so when you get general anesthesia and get put out you know for surgery or something those um pause the circadian cycle oh, so oh. you know when you wake up from anesthesia you're really really groggy and some people think that part of that grogginess is the fact that your circadian cycle gets paused when you get put under general anesthesia hmm. and when you come out of it you think it's you know when you went when you got put under yeah. and it's now like 12 hours later and it's like dark out it's just really disorienting huh. um and there's some really fun experiments with um bees actually bees have a circadian cycle and people have demonstrated that they've used um bees use their circadian cycle to navigate huh. based on the sun so they orient to the sun and as time passes they'll they'll account for the time passing um and where the sun is so that they'll they can make it back to the hive bees are so smart yeah dang (laughs) i wish i was a bee bee, (laughs) (laughs) counting for the future overlords (laughs) yeah um and so how they found out that or one of the pieces of evidence for the uh, anesthesia pausing the circadian cycle is they um basically knocked these bees out for a couple of hours and when the bees recovered from anesthesia, you know, far from the hive, they navigated using the sun as if it was, you know, before they got anesthetized. So they were off by like 60 hmm. degrees when they tried to like head back to the hive. <laughs> a little sad, but it's a really cool experiment. That is really that cool, is yeah. Super. So that's a really cool bee experiment. Are there other ways that we can test time perception besides asking bees if they're lost or not? <laughs> um, the short answer is yes. Um, again, slightly longer answer. Time perception is this pretty higher order, pretty um, complex behavior. Um, and so mostly it's the realm of cognitive psychologists and some really smart people who come up with these really crazy ways to study uh, time perception because you have to kind of come at it obliquely, right? Hmm. Um, just asking somebody questions doesn't really get at any of the underlying mechanisms and you know, you really have to be careful if you're studying, you know, one particular aspect of how you perceive time, or if you're looking at half a dozen things that are playing into each other. So, you know, if you're trying to remember what you had for breakfast yesterday, right, you have to figure, you have to remember what yesterday was. And then if you're trying to figure out how long it took you, that's probably another system or another Mm -hmm. couple of systems that's like, oh, breakfast took me half an hour right because i remember eating i remember like making coffee and trying to figure out how many how many uh 
functions that the brain is like working with to uh, really estimate like not only just what happened yesterday, but how long it took yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, got a dozen things going on there. Um, so the th- kind of things that you see experiments for, um, there's a lot of uh, training for our timing tasks. And this is something that you can sort of simplify and work with um, uh, model animals for. So monkeys, rats, um, you can train them to basically follow a timing cue, hmm. um, you know, a, a delay after a stimulus, so it beeps, and then they know five seconds later something happens. Or um, if they hit uh, if they hit a switch and there's a timing involved with it, or they have to recapitulate a, a, a beat, like you know, hmm. beat, 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 and they have to hit the button like that. Stuff like that is um, sort of in the repertoire. Um, for people, um, those timing illusions are pretty informative. Hmm. They they only yeah. go so far, but they raise some really interesting questions about how things are working and can provide some really interesting insights. And um, there's one per, uh, there's one researcher who, uh, to test timing, was basically pushing people off of a high tower so that they were free fall for a couple seconds. To test timing. Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> these, and they landed in the subjects net. okay? Oh, okay. You, you forgot about that. <laughs> Part of the funding was for a net. <laughs> That got really expensive fast. Yeah. <laughs> cool. God, students are cheap. Yeah. <laughs> so what was he doing? He was pushing people off of a really tall what building. What was the test? There? What's the yeah. hypothesis? What is this? <laughs> so, so it's Heidi's like dream experiment. That's why I need slow mo. <laughs> yeah. So um, the the question they were trying to answer was um, basically, can you get in? Like, um, is bullet time real? Right. So um, you look at movies like The Matrix, um, people start shooting guns and Neo basically enters bullet time and just starts dodging because he's, you know, overclocking himself and and Hmm. sort of speeding himself up and uh, gives him enough time to figure out how he has to move to dodge bullets. And so the idea was that even outside of movies, you have stuff where uh, there's a traumatic event like a car crash or... um, some soldiers report like firefights that are over in a, you know, 30 seconds feel like they were, you know, 10, 10, 20 minutes long. Um, and so the question is, does the brain actually have the capacity to overclock itself, to speed up mm-hmm. and slow down time? And would, because, you know, from a sort of evolutionary standpoint, that would be a useful aspect if every time you were in trouble, you got like a couple extra seconds to think mm-hmm. about what you had to do. Dang, we'd all be a lot smarter. Yeah. <laughs> a lot fewer regrets if you can think about it one extra second. <laughs> just, Public yeah. speaking might be a little just more to rough, like, though. That's true. <laughs> I'm going to slow down my time for an hour to think about this slide. Ugh. Just more time to stress about, you know, what the uh, what the audience is thinking about. Exactly. Ugh. Yeah, not I've mind. never <laughs> been pushed off a building, but I was just thinking, have you ever, like, in grade school, leaned back in your chair because yeah. you're super cool, and then you... <laughs> fall basically and i swear it feels like time slows down you yeah. like no and you tip backwards <laughs> i was one of and the cool so, kids. yeah i guess that's like the sort of time diet like change in time perception he right. was trying to like mimic i guess yeah, yeah. so so he was Remember trying to test that cool. <laughs> Um, so he was trying to test that and um what they were doing is they gave every um every individual a watch and this was a special watch with a screen on it. 
and the screen was basically flickering an image back and forth or a number back and forth. Um, and the way it was flickering was um, sort of negative and positive image. So it was like a black number on a white background and flicked to a white number on a black background in the same place. But then um, they increased the speed of the flicker until people in the lab couldn't see it anymore. Like hmm. right at the threshold where it went from, oh, I can still make out the number because, you know, uh, it flashes slow enough and you can just make out the number to right over that threshold where it's flashing too fast for you to make out any huh. kind of like uh, number from it. With the idea that if your brain is speeding up, right, if you get pushed off the tower, um, you'll see the number like you'll start being able to see the number oh. because your brain is speeding up and you can like take in more information. Okay. Yeah, that that's like very cleverly designed. So it's right. almost like huh. if you're if you want to read a book really quickly, you just jump off the tower and read it. <laughs> just flip on through. Oh my god. Nailed it. <laughs> don't do that. Please don't do that. <laughs> it's not true. First. Yeah. yeah, so did it uh, work? So when they did the experiment, none of the volunteers could actually read what was on the watch in oh. freefall. And so just to confirm that, you know, it felt like the time was slowing down after they did the, the free fall, right? Um, all the individuals were given a stopwatch and they were told, okay, you know, walk yourself through climbing up the tower and then getting pushed off the top. And then when you get pushed off, start the stopwatch and just imagine yourself falling and falling. And when you hit the net, click the stopwatch off, right? Um, and so the actual free fall was a second, second and a half or something like that. And all the individuals in the experiment overestimated the amount of time in free fall, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is you know, more objective evidence that subjectively they felt like time slowed down during the fall. Yeah, right? so you do feel like time slows down, right. but your perception's not getting right. any faster than under normal circumstances. Yeah. Darn it. <laughs> Dang it. Just to make sure I understand <laughs> before I go jump off something. <laughs> um, and so there's a couple um, a couple schools of thought as to why that happens. Uh, the one I'm most particular with and I think makes the most harmonious amount of sense is that um, for this type of time perception, right, for a traumatic event or any kind of event with adrenaline, it's um, it has to do with people have coined the term memory density, right? Mm. Um, when you get adrenaline going, when your um, your heart's pumping and you're doing something stressful, um, it's kind of the start of like any kind of PTSD response. But uh, in response to all those stress hormones, your uh, your hippocampus and your amygdala might be sort of in um, etching the memory in a little more densely, a little more strongly than normal memories. Sorry to interrupt. What's hmm. the hippocampus and what's the amygdala? So the hippocampus is um, part of the brain that does a lot of learning and memory mm. uh, tasks. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the key places in the brain that handles memory formation. And the amygdala is uh, part of the brain that also handles memory, but also emotional salience. I so hmm. how you feel about it and has a big role in traumatic and, and stressful events. So, okay. you know, helps dump the adrenaline into your system and mm -hmm. then get ready to fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And also helps um, sort of etch those memories in because adaptively, if something is stressful, you want to make sure you remember it and you know to avoid it next time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that becomes maladaptive with PTSD where it just keeps hitting the same memory and it's, mm -hmm. you know, super stressful. Yeah. 
Um, but back to the um, density idea is that because the memory is encoded more densely, right? When your brain play, when your brain goes back to the memory and plays it back, it thinks it takes longer because it says, "Oh, memories of this density are happening at this speed." Are there any disorders with time perception? So I, this was actually a, a part of the this field that I had to go look up for for this podcast, but uh, it turns out there are. Hmm. Um, there's some. There's one called dyschronometria, and so it's um, kind of like time blindness. You, you have issues with timing and time perception. Um, people with this usually huh. have trouble tapping out a beat or Dancing. estimating short. Yeah, basically, uh, you have you have no rhythm. Oh, <laughs> I hope there aren't any bees out there with that. Uh, <laughs> oh no. So this dyschronometry is, is most commonly associated with uh, dementia, so in oh, aging. Okay. Hmm. Um, so elderly patients that have issues with you know accurately counting out beats or or um, estimating time. Yeah. Hmm. Um, there are some additional side effects with um, other diseases. So um, uh, some people with ADHD report that they're really bad at time management. There have been some tests that objectively look at kids with ADHD and they have a lot more variance when they're asked to you know, tap out a beat or um, hmm. estimate timing, like huh. how, how long something is when they yeah. give um, two light flashes and they have to say, you know, it's three seconds long, four seconds long. Hmm. Um the one one study found that the kids with ADHD were all sort of more all, all over the place compared to uh, neurotypical kids. Mm. Hmm. Um, there's a really cool um, there's a really cool theory about schizophrenia and some of the schizophrenia symptoms being an issue with uh, time perception. Oh, interesting! I've never heard that before. Um, so, yeah, me neither. Huh. Um, schizophrenia, it's 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 a weird brain disorder just from like my perspective in terms of all sorts of things are wrong all sorts of different um uh symptoms hearing voices um paranoia and so um and and time perception doesn't explain everything mm -hmm. uh but it's this really cool theory and it has to go back to how the brain perceives time and so one of the really cool things about um this this field is that you get a lot into the nuts and bolts of how perception works mm -hmm. and um one of the things that in in the perception field is that you know, your brain builds your perception of the world from the ground up and the brain itself is an organ in the dark it's in, in your skull and it pulls together all sorts of senses but all those senses are you know they're they're just neural impulses, right? Vision, hearing, taste, touch, uh, temperature, and it builds that into a representation of the world. That how you see the world is a is a model that your brain has built and um, sort of constructed. Mm -hmm. So you know you get some trippy sayings like perception is illusion and some other things. But one of the interesting ob observations is that different senses take different amounts of time to process, right? Oh, really? The vision's pretty quick. Yeah, I guess mm -hmm. that makes sense. Sound's a little quicker, but uh, sound has some you know, sound changes because, you know, sound moves slower than light. So when you're looking at something far away, mm -hmm. you see the flash before you hear the boom. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I was reading that people do um, 
they use the starter pistol in races because you react faster to a pistol shot than you do to like a light light stimulus. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, but then you know, touch also takes longer, and touch is also interesting in that you know, thinking about it, your sense of touch should have a lag time from depending on where you're being touched. If it's close to the brain, like on your neck, that's a really short distance. But if somebody's tapping on your toe, that has to go all the way up mm -hmm. to your hip, to your spine, and then back to your brain. And so um, the cool aspect of this is that because all of your senses have different timing, for your brain to pull everything together, it has to wait for the slowest um, slowest mm. time. And so, so you get things coming in, the brain waits for a beat, and then constructs your world. And so you live <laughs> a couple, funny. like, you know, 100 milliseconds in the past. Right? Lowest common denominator. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you live a couple, huh. a couple hundred milliseconds in the past because what's happening right now, your brain then takes it in, processes it, and then, you know, combines it with everything else Whoa. and binds hmm. it together so that, you know, if somebody's popping a balloon, you don't see something pop and then hear the sound or, or vice versa. You just see, oh, somebody popped a balloon. It made a, you know, popping sound and, and that's that's what they were doing. Wow. So it binds it all together into one event. Yeah, and it makes sense that way too. And so that it does that in the past. So you're, you know, lagging behind. And this has interesting implications for stuff like um, audiovisual and uh, synchronization. So... People were worried in the first movies about, you know, how tightly do you have to make sure that the audio matches the visual? Because, of, you know, you've seen videos where it's really badly oh, desynced. Oh, yeah, there's like a lag or God, something. I hate that. <laughs> right. And, and you see people's lips noticed. moving. And then, and then you hear the sound. Yeah. Um, so it turns out you've got a decent amount of slack. You've got um, about a tenth of a second. Yeah, my brain um, doesn't care. <laughs> my brain very much cares. We should right. test yeah. our time perception. I'm say, your brain's on it. <laughs> um, and so beyond that, it starts to be really noticeable and annoying. But below that, right, your brain just basically goes, eh, it's probably some synchronization thing. I'm just going to, I'll, I'll just match it up together. We'll figure it out. Bind it together. Just so, match it. Yeah. Our it brains just, are pretty chill. Yep. Whatever. Oh, dang. Reality is an illusion. <laughs> Stitch it all together. You're just in a computer simulation. Yeah. Whatever. Get over Basically. it. Yeah, there's a glitch. Come on. Um, and so to bring it back to schizophrenia, mm -hmm. one theory is that um, schizophrenia arises from the brain being unable to bind certain things into its model. Right. Mm. So uh, when they hear voices or hear thoughts, they're their own thoughts, right? But somehow the brain lost track of them and couldn't figure out where to hmm. put them wow. um, in in its timeline. And so, you know, it causes like a lot of cognitive dissonance because, you know, it's something that you did, like you moved or you like you thought something or you said something, but then your brain couldn't slot it in mm. with hmm. its model of reality. And the cognitive dissonance makes them think that somebody else said it. Yeah, it's a foreign um, hearing stimulus. another voice, right? Interesting. Wow. Um, which is a really cool theory. I don't know how you would even begin to test it. Yeah, I was about to ask, how do you even test yeah. that? Oh, wow. Um, but you know, that's possibly yeah. has something to do, at least in some cases, um, how schizophrenia represents like some sort of timed perception disorder. It's fascinating. All right, so we have a question here um, taken from the internet because I had nothing better to do over the summer Greatest other than peruse <laughs> yes, the internet. The internet. Um, <laughs> I found this really cool question that um, I think we can all kind of relate to. 
Um, but does monotony reduce time perception? It seems as though each year goes by faster than the last. And I wonder if this has something to do with our lives becoming more repetitive over time. Oof. <laughs> Using it's <laughs> getting too real. Yeah. Too Using this personal. logic, could one slow down the perception of time and therefore get more out of life by attempting to try hmm. as many new and unique experiences as they can? Interesting. I believe yes. And that's mostly because I really like that time uh, that memory density school of thought for mm-hmm. how you perceive time. And so under that school of thought, um, as you get older, you have more memories. Uh, So not only in comparison with all of your memories, uh, the subjective length of a year seems shorter because you have so many more years to compare it with, but Mm. also sort of the density at which your brain is recording the memories might change or probably um, not be as dense because it's, you know, seeing something the same stuff. And it's just, oh, you know, you see that wall where you work every day. So I don't really need to spend too much time, like actually remembering like what color the wall is. Right. That's one way the density could get reduced. Other ways your brain just simply stops recording as much stuff and your memory stops being as good. And so the density goes down and that's uh, makes it feel like uh, things are going faster because the brain just says, okay, at this density is this much time. Mm. And um, Hmm. as they get less dense, um, things feel like they pass quicker in hindsight. Um, So I think there's something to be said about looking at new things, going to do new things and like just novelty. I think that people crave like brains crave novelty. They, they like seeing new things and that helps that could help differentiate memories and make things feel subjectively longer. But given how valuable novelty is, I would Mm -hmm. say, it's in your best interest to go out there and try something, do something new. Yeah, worst uh, put case some scenario, twists you do something fun. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right? Because, I mean, you're worst getting more out of life by just doing more things and different things. So. Yeah, regardless of time perception. Right. right. Hmm. So if slow-mo was a real thing we could get hmm. and it was safe to use and non-addictive, what would be the best use of slow-mo? For your daily lives. Oh, interesting. And what would be one of the worst uses of slow-mo? Best uses of slow-mo. Making my lunch break longer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that worst. always goes so fast, too. So that's <laughs> right. one of the times where time feels like it's going fast. Yeah, it's exactly. Going. You're just making that perfect scoop of ice cream last forever. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. <Nice>. <laughs> um, worst use of slow-mo... Uh, slow mo on an airplane flight. Oh, Ugh. that would be so terrible. <laughs> That'd be actual want, torture. You yeah. want like fast mo or whatever yeah. at that point? I feel like I'll tell you anything. Yeah, <laughs> please. Air- and again, that's like the opposite where time truly feels like it's going slower Seriously. than it's actually yep. going. Anyways. Oh my gosh, that's those are good answers. Yeah, you go for it, and I still need time to think. Oh yeah, I i use slow-mo right now (laughs) yeah i could use it right now to think of an answer that's kevin took all the good ones (laughs) no i'm just kidding you only took i was thinking now that it's cold have you ever like woken up like two minutes before your alarm and you're like yeah that's a good one two more minutes (laughs) yeah i wish i could just do that where but get like the maximal amount of sleep still yeah and then wake up and then just enjoy not having to get up out of bed yet and right especially when it's cold yeah i haven't turned the heat on in my house yet so it's very <laughs> cold <laughs> so i could use some i think that'd be a yeah good use and then yeah the airplane one's good for 
really being as torturous <laughs> as possible. <laughs> um, I think maybe like in traffic or something where it feels like Ugh. just taking forever to get home or something. Yeah. That would be pretty terrible if it was even longer than it needed to be because mm-hmm. I just hate waiting. <laughs> waiting for a package? Yeah. Oh, gosh, oh yeah, yeah. That's just looking up on your email. <laughs> Refresh <laughs> your email. <laughs> Watching the Lyft driver turn the wrong direction <laughs> to your house. Samoa waiting for your Lyft? Yeah, yeah. Waiting for your food, too. Oh. That would be, actually, yeah. Maybe, or like at a restaurant and your oh, like gosh. food's supposed to come yeah. and then it just takes like hours. That would be pretty terrible. That sounds miserable. What are you thinking, Heidi? I would really like slow-mo if, you know those moments when someone says something to you and you really wish you had a good comeback oh that's like you just want one, one second to think oh that's such a good that's awesome yeah i probably still wouldn't come up with a good comeback but at least i could think about it yeah that would be great would i always be. think of them like two days later yeah exactly yeah can i have slow-mo where it's like two days later although then my mind wouldn't work faster I, oh. um no that's a good but one, sometimes though. it's just you need a little break to relax and just absorb what was said and then be like, mm-mm. And then completely devastate the other yeah. person. <laughs> Slow-mo, the drug of choice for debate teams. Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> Heidi's insult <laughs> creations. No, you're that way. <laughs> Darn <Yeah>. it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what a waste. <laughs> That's a good one, though. Um, the worst, man. You guys really got it with travel and waiting for food. Mm. Uh, <laughs> the worst. <laughs> when you really have to go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> oh, man. And you're, like, too far away. Oh. That's a, a dangerous time. <laughs> yes, it is. Especially when you're in the car. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty terrible. Well, on that note, yeah. <laughs> thanks for joining us today, Kevin. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Glad to be here. If you'd like to learn more about our guest's research or the topics that were covered in today's episode, check out our website at cinemasciencepodcast.com. You can find us collectively on Twitter at CinemaSciCast, and you can find Heidi at PandaBumHot. Anne doesn't have a Twitter, but her dog Hubble sure does. You can find him at Hubble Gibson. Our intro and outro music was composed by Kagan Breitenbach. You can find more information about him at our website, but also check out his personal website at kaganbreitenbach.com. The first season of Cinema Science was graciously funded by the University of Utah's Neuroscience Initiative. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Bye. <laughs>